Well, this is part three in our series on vision. We're going to talk about a guy least likely to succeed by the name of Peter. So in Luke chapter 5, Jesus' ministry has started to grow rapidly. He's now having an effect on the entire region of Galilee. Word of his miracles has started spreading. His popularity is soaring. The paparazzi are out in force. There are crowds of people trying to brush Jesus and touch greatness or ask him some religious question. So we go over to Luke chapter 5, first 11 verses. It says, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to God's Word. He noticed two empty boats at the edge of the water, for the fishermen had left them and were now washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon Peter, the owner, push it out into the water. So Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowds from out in the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Pete, launch out in the deep and let down your nets to catch some fish. But master, Simon Peter replied, we fished all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time the nets were so full of fish, they started to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat over, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Because he had been awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. And so were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Well, this wasn't a coincidence. This was an ordained moment in Pete's life. This is a special moment. Now, you know, things sometimes catch me. I bet catch you by surprise, but they never take God by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning, and he orchestrates everything in the middle. I am never a victim. I don't like everything in my life, but I tell myself again, God said he would work everything for my good and his glory that happened. He didn't say everything that happens to me is good. He says, I'll work it for your advantage. Hang with me. So that keeps me in the race, keeps me on track, keeps me focused. So from this point on in the story, Peter becomes prominent in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he and Jesus get real tight. And Peter's going to disappoint Jesus about as many times as he brings joy to the Lord. Now, come on, what's so encouraging about this is Jesus knew Pete would disappoint him before he ever chose him, but he chose him anyway. We should all whisper, thank you, Jesus. Jesus didn't choose as his closest confidants some wealthy financier. He didn't choose a corporate giant, Mr. Bezos or, or uh, uh, Elon Musk or any of these guys. He didn't choose a strategic guru. He didn't choose a deep academic person. He didn't choose a renowned politician or some Wall Street capitalist. He chose Peter. I'm feeling better already. 
just an ordinary, regular guy. He's impetuous. He's imperfect. He's intolerant. He's often foolhardy. He's definitely faulty. And he suffers with chronic foot-and-mouth disease. This is the guy Jesus chose. There's hope for all of us, thank God. Peter's life and journey ought to inspire everybody. Now notice, Peter obeys what Jesus told him under protest. Master, we worked all night. We didn't catch a thing. And whatever you're telling me to do ain't going to work. It's interesting. Peter is not the only guy in the Bible who protested. Moses protested when God called him. Jacob protested. Isaiah protested. Jeremiah protested. Gideon protested. Well, I'm the dumbest one in my family. My family's the dumbest one in our tribe. Our tribe is the smallest one in the nation of Israel. Go get somebody else. God said, no, you'll do. And even Ricky G protested. Not me. Come on. I, I want to give to your ministry, Jesus. Knock it off. Let's, let's don't talk about serving in the church. I want a condo in Monte Carlo with a jet. And I, well, what do you think about? I just want a cabin in glory. No, I want a condo in Monte Carlo. I want to make a difference. I want a big life. I have never, ever felt like, well, I just hope I get enough to pay the rent. Shoot, you need to jack it up. Come on, get out of that chicken coop thinking. There's a big world, lots of opportunity. Jesus never rebuked anybody for dreaming big. But he sure was mad at Israel for being pitifully small several times. So, well, I won't ever get accused of that. Maybe something else, but not that. So Peter says, why should I launch out? We've been doing this all night and caught nothing. Sometimes God tells us to do stuff and we protest Lord, you know that I've done all that I can. Lord, I don't have the knowledge. I don't speak well. I don't have a college degree. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have the money. Oh, it's never going to happen. Name yours. Huh? And secondly, Peter's in the wrong place. Now, there's two aspects to this. He's a commercial fisherman. He's been at it all night, caught nothing, obviously. In the natural, he's in the wrong place. But when Jesus comes along, he puts Peter in the right place to catch some fish, a lot of fish. And another way of looking at it is Peter was in the right place to begin with, but Jesus wanted to put him in a bad spot so that when the fish jumped into the net, old Pete would know that's a miracle. That had to be the Lord. That wasn't you, Pete. I mean, Peter was no rookie. He was a pro. He knew where to fish, how to fish, and when to fish at night in shallow water when it's cool and the fish come up to feed. So here it is, hot daytime. Jesus tells Pete to launch out into the deep, and Peter knows instantly that catch we just got was not the result of good fishing technique. That was a miracle. That was God. Sometimes I believe the Lord puts all of us in an impossible place so that when something good does happen, he gets all the glory. And, you know, we're talking to our wife or a friend like, can you believe that? No, I mean, how unbelieving a believer can be, you know. You prayed for something, and then finally it happens. You, can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. I'm a real believer. It, it's not fun to be in a bad spot. And it's hard to be encouraged by people who, in good intention, say, oh, it'll be okay. It'll all work out. Don't worry about it. That's just hard to hear when you're in a bad spot. 
when they say, it'll be okay, if you're a believer, you know it will, but it's not right now. But get this, God doesn't always view what feels good to me as good. Mm. Whatever He does is always for our good in its outcome. Now, sometimes we get put in a bad spot, but it's in that bad spot that God comes through in a way we have to say that had to be God because it wasn't going to work out any other way. No way I could have ever made that happen. Joyce Wright, who's an author, writes about her husband, Norm. And she said, sometimes old Norm can be so positive and enthusiastic, I I wonder what planet he's walking on. And I wonder if he's walking in the same world I am. Once we were fishing, she said, in a mountain lake, and we hadn't caught anything. Norm had rowed the boat to five or six different spots looking for the fish to bite. Finally, after three hours with nothing, he got a big grin on his face, and he said to her, Joyce, now we can really start fishing, babe. And I asked him why, and he said, because now we know where the fish aren't. (laughs) Sometimes you find out what doesn't work, and you try something else. That's good. So, So what does Jesus tell Peter to do? Launch out in the deep. There's a hidden message there to impetuous, imperfect people like you and me 2,000 years later. Go out into deeper water. Leave the shallow water behind. Leave the superficiality of the world behind. Go out deeper, love deeper, pray deeper, give deeper, serve deeper, have deeper compassion, live deeper, launch out in the deep. You want to catch? You want something to talk about? You want to harvest? Launch out in the deep. So Peter not only believes it's the wrong place, but he believes it's the wrong time. Luke 5, verse 5 in the Message Bible. Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. In essence, old Pete is saying, Lord, you do the preaching. You're good at that. I'll do the fishing. I'm very good at that. Peter's declaring, I'm an expert. Everybody knows you fish at night when the water temperature is cooler. Fish surface to feed. And once again, timing is everything in this deal. In his autobiography, Buck O'Neill tells of being an African-American who played professional baseball before African-Americans were allowed to play in the all-white major leagues. And by the time the color barrier was broken in 1947... O'Neill was considered to be too old to play in the big league, as were most of his teammates. Many of his friends were very bitter about missing this opportunity. But O'Neill wrote in his autobiography, at a reunion of what was called the Negro League, a reporter from Sports Illustrated asked me if I had any regrets coming along as I did before Jackie Robinson integrated the major leagues. And this is what I told him then. Waste no tears for me. I didn't come along too early. I was right on time. I don't have a bitter story. I believe I've been blessed. And his attitude is reflected in his book title chosen for his autobiography called I Was Right on Time. Mordecai told Esther, Babe, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I threw in the babe. He didn't actually say that. Okay. That's Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Now listen. If God wanted anybody else from the past 
some hero you admire or person you admire. He'd have brought them into this generation, but he brought you. So I have to figure I'm in the right place, the right person at the right time for my assignment. God could have picked anybody, but he chose you and me. We are right here on time. Knock it off that you were born in the wrong time. You were not born in the wrong time. Whatever his purpose might be, we're the right people at the right time to get it done. Sometimes we're the ones who have to plow. Not much fun in that. Not much of a reward in that. Sometimes we're the ones who plant. Sometimes we're the ones who get to water after it's been plowed by somebody else. And a generation later, some dude shows up in skinny jeans and gets to reap the harvest. Isn't that life? Yeah. Somebody gets to reap the reward of your sacrifice. Our kids will reap the reward of our parents' sacrifice if we've made them so they can go higher. So be thinking about from an eternal perspective. You're right on time. We are all right on time. But the events and circumstances of our lives aren't always on the time schedule we want them to be. Isn't that right? A lot of times we're feeling, now's the time, Lord, come on. And the time comes and goes, and we think, shucks, I thought that was the right time. But on the other side of the coin, there are times you think nothing is going to happen, and wham, in one day something does. So our timing and God's timing rarely coincide. Lord, would you change that, please? (laughs) You ever talk to the Lord like that? I mean, over a cup of coffee, can we have a little talk? You know, I'd really prefer if you'd shake it up and do it this way, but never seems to work. So you got to grasp a deeper understanding of his ways, his motive, his heart, and what he's doing in us and for us, while the outside apparently hasn't changed at all yet. Then our timing is submitted to him humbly, not the other way around. So Jesus comes by the Sea of Galilee. Peter, James, and John are out washing their nets. They've been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. And there's a great crowd, and Jesus takes Pete's boat and has him row out just a little bit. And he stands up to speak because the people are on the hill. I've been there and looked at it. And he bounces his voice as a PA off the water up the side of the hill to all the people so the people could hear. And he teaches, and everybody can hear him well. When Jesus gets finished, he turns to Pete and he says, okay, Pete, launch out in the deep and take your nets and throw them back out in the water. And I bet I would be just like Peter. I wouldn't say it. I would probably just turn and look the other way and say, oh, this is stupid. This is not going to work. You know, and and I'm sure he did too. You might not want to put Pete on your dash. I'm just saying Maybe your mother-in-law, but not Pete. Pete's got problems, right? He's no better than you. And Peter protests, Lord, come on. It's not going to work. We know what we're doing. We've tried it before. And by the way, we have to wear a mask too. It's just not going to (laughs) work. And here's the final excuse. He's exhausted. He's exhausted. Luke 5, verse 5 in the Amplified. Master, we worked hard all night to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing. But at your word, that's a good one, but at your word, I will do as you say, and lower than that again. That's where some of you are. You need to say, I don't feel like it. I don't see much success in it. I don't see how in the world this could possibly happen. Okay, you done? Yeah. But at your word, I will. That gets God's attention. 
And if you've never been there, I question your sanity. <laughs> there are times I don't see how I'm going to come out on this deal, Lord. Nevertheless, I'll do what you said. If I want the reward, I got to do what you said to do. It's that simple, right? We are no better now than when we began, and we're exhausted is what Pete's telling Jesus. Have you ever been exhausted? Exhausted. I'm not talking about physical exhaustion. That's the easiest exhaustion to bear. All you got to do is take a nap, take something cold to drink, rest a while, and you're okay. But I'm talking about emotional fatigue, spiritual exhaustion, that place where you feel like you're falling apart and you're on the edge of despair. And it's often that very place that's the breeding ground for life change. And that's the place where we change the most. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Pete. In 1986, two brothers who lived near the Sea of Galilee made an incredible discovery. As these two Israeli fishermen monitored their equipment on the beaches, they noticed something they hadn't seen before. Something covered with mud was glistening in the sun. So upon examination, archaeologists discovered that what the brothers had found was a fishing boat dating to the time of Jesus. And the only reason that artifact got discovered was because of a three-year drought resulting in unusually low water level in the lake. The Bible says that many times that place of dryness, God can uncover something that may have incredible value within us. And Pete, he does something extraordinary. Now in the midst of his protesting, feeling like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, feeling totally exhausted, Peter acts on Jesus' words. Nevertheless, excuses aside, feelings aside, I will let down the net at your word. So the timing seems all wrong. Place seems all wrong. I'm exhausted. Nevertheless, at your word. Yeah, we don't have the money. Yeah, it seems impossible. Yeah, I'm not smart enough. Yeah, nevertheless, at thy word. Because it's the word of God that has the ability to turn everything around in your life and mine. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Not Washington's word, God's word. Psalms 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. It will never pass away. Why don't you stand and take a risk on something immutable, eternal, unchanging, unshakable, that'll abide? Why in the name of God don't you stand on that? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. In the first Psalm, I love that first three verses, all oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with scoffers, but they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night, they think about his law, his word. They are like trees planted by the rivers, bearing fruit in their season. It never fails. Their leaf never withers. And on all they do, they prosper. Why? Because the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not like the words from a magazine or a novel, it brings miraculous results. Nevertheless, at thy word. So old Pete, he acts on the word of God. And when we act on what is written, we get the results he promised. And though Pete finally responds with utter humility, in Luke chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees in front of Jesus and said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. 
for he was awestruck by the size of their catch, as were the others who were with him. I mean, the fish are looking for his net. They're jumping into it. The boat's in danger of sinking. I've never been on a fishing trip like that. I bet they're all singing, we're in the money. This is great. Every single one of us has a call from God. Every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us can have a vision from God for your life. Everybody has some gift from God. There are no non-gifted people, nonsense. Maybe non-thinking people, but no. God made everybody with a purpose. You're right on time. He said, I called you by name when you were in the womb, before you were conceived, and I ordained you to be. I'm not an accident of two consenting adults. I'm right on time, and so are you. Every day, every weekend, we get a chance to reel somebody into the kingdom of God. I don't want to pull them into religion. I want to pull them into a relationship with Jesus, that's all, to influence somebody for God. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. Old Pete says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Yeah, but he didn't have a good attitude. Doesn't matter. He obeyed. Jesus said to obey is better than sacrifice. How many of you have ever obeyed God and you didn't have a good attitude about it? <laughs> if you've been married, that's a standing fact, right? Yeah, just being honest. I wish churches were more honest and real instead of that bogus, faked-up uh, cosmetic uh, presentation, you know, gag me. Just these are people that are flawed, a little dirty, uh, a little R-rated in, in some cases. And that's who got us. Hey, what else has he got to work with? I don't see anybody glowing in the dark. Yeah. Luke chapter 5, Pete now has a new purpose. He's got new direction. He's got a great occupation now and a new vision for his life. During college, I, I worked as a lifeguard at the officers' club pool, swimming pool, on McGuire Air Force Base during the summer. All children, beginners, and non-swimmers had to stay in the huge shallow end of the pool. The signs were all over the side of that pool. No running no jumping, no diving, no horseplay, no laughing, no fun, no nothing. Anybody remember those signs? That's the biggest part of the pool. The shallow end of the pool was designed for low risk and safety. Ain't nothing bad going to happen there. In fact, nothing is going to happen there. And that's where most Christians like to stay. But in the deep end, we had three diving boards, low, medium, and high. It was a smaller area, but it was designed for more risk, and it was a lot deeper. It was noisy, screaming, laughter, people losing their bathing suit off the high dive. It was wild. <laughs> all, all the action. I'm reliving those memories a long time ago. It... it <laughs> It was designed for higher risk, with greater fun, greater reward, see? And in life, there are more things happening in deep water than shallow water. More fish being caught, more reward, more of life being lived. But most people live their entire life in the shallow end with their floaties. Yeah. They're not going to fail. They ain't going to succeed. Nothing's going to happen. They work hard. They don't see much happen. 
If your Friday's better than Monday, you're fishing in shallow water. You're just working to make a living, but you're not living a life or a destiny. See, when Jesus gets into Peter's boat, he immediately looks for an opportunity to bless old Pete. And God wants to move you out of survival out into something that's an adventure. But like Peter, you got to get in deeper water. And this is the word I want you to carry all week, no matter what you face. Launch out into the deep. Whatever you face, I got to get out of my floaties and the shallow end. If I keep doing the same thing the same way, I'm going to keep getting the same no results. So if I want something to change, I'm going to have to launch out in deeper water and do what God said. Yeah, it scares me. It scared me too. I can remember we increased our giving. I can remember when we took a chance. I can remember we made an investment in a home. I remember coming here to start a church and thinking, oh my God, this is not going to work. It won't even pay. And I just gave up a beautiful home on the intercoastal waterway. There goes my jet and my condo in Monte Carlo. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. I felt like the Titanic movie. Come back. Come back. <laughs> And we launched out. And you're here because we did. You think about that. This wouldn't be here if we didn't. I was terrified. I didn't think, I mean, I, I just thought, that's a bad idea, Lord. And I tell you what, I don't need criticism. I'm my own worst critic. But to do that, it's going to involve deeper obedience. Isaiah 1 verse 19 says, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. You can't leave out the parts of the Bible you don't like. Secondly, deeper relationships are necessary, right? Shake off shallow friends. Proverbs 27, 1, iron sharpens iron. Deep calls to deep. He that walks with wise men is going to get smart. Stay away from stupid friends. Be polite, but don't, but don't let that be part of your inner circle. They're not going where you want to go. They're not achieving what you want to achieve, and you'll end up just like them. And wonder, how did I end up here? Well, Sparky, look at who you're running around with. You can't think any bigger than the people you're with, and God wants you to stretch. He wants you to think bigger, go deeper, and you need a deeper faith life. Mark 11, verse 22, have faith in God and speak to your mountain, not about them, to them. No more excusing your circumstances, no more rationalizing your circumstances, and no more talking about your dumb circumstances. Let me pause a minute. I, if you just got a doctor's diagnosis with stage three cancer, get off the phone talking to everybody about, well, it's this, and it's related to my mother, and this has only got a 45% cure, and you're talking about the mountain. Talk to it. I curse you, cancer, in the name of Jesus. I hold the blood of Jesus against you. I cut you off from life, from mycotoxins. I cut you off from fungus. I speak life and health to my T-cells, to my immune system. I hold the blood of Jesus against you. I have authority to bind you. I bind you in Jesus' name. I remind you on the cross, Jesus took my pain, infirmity, sin, and disease, and by his stripes I am healed. He paid the bill for my health and healing. I rebuke it, and I mean do it every day, all day, until this thing turns around. I don't want to describe my mountain. I want to speak to it and command it to fall into the sea. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. Well, that's just unheard of. Well, it ought to be heard. It was Bible. 
I mean, what excuse are you going to use? What are you talking? Well, I'm now, I'm 30, and I've, I don't even have a boyfriend yet. <laughs> Talk to some people who've been married a long time. They'll tell you, look, go down to, go down to the dog kennel and get you a dog, you a dog and, and just hang in there until a good man comes around. That dog's going to be worth more to you than that husband will in, if you just pick something up warm and breathing with a zipper. Don't. Don't. God's got the right person for you. You're not easy to live with, and God's going to give you somebody that can live with you. No, I don't do marriage seminars, all right? Knock it off. Don't, don't give me any hassle. I'm just, I'm simply saying, I don't, God, God says it's good for, not good for man to be alone. So God's got somebody for you, but you're going to have to, and you know, if you just hang out in the choir all day and the church all day, you need to increase your circle a little bit. It's hard, it's hard for a great white to bite you when you stay inside the little aquarium. You got to get out meet people, go where people are. God uses divine connections. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, well, well, if you get so religious, nobody can get near you. How's God going to connect you? Uh, it, now, you, you don't have to go to a bad place. Knock it off. But you got to get out. You got to get a little exposure. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. <laughs> A girl set on a hill cannot be hidden. You need some exposure. Well, I'm just trusting God. Well, God's trusting you to use your brain. And are you still going to lunch with me, honey? Okay. I, I. So use your faith on your circumstances. Whether it's a financial setback, whether it's a health setback, whether you're having trouble with one of the kids. You know, when the kids are goofy as a $3 bill, you pray to God. That child is the seed of the righteous. They shall inherit the earth, shall be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches shall be in their household. They shall possess the gate of their enemy. They shall possess the gates of their enemy. And you go on and on and on. I thank you, God, for favor. The seed of the righteous has favor. Promotion when they seem least likely to get it. Battles won. They don't have to fight. Policies, ordinances, laws, contracts changed in their favor. Favor them as a shield established. All I'm doing is quoting scripture over my kid. I'm releasing the power of God's Word to shape their future, however long that takes. Yeah. It's either that or just sit around, hi, Gladys. No, she's out again. No, she came in drunk last night. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Somebody call Uber for me, would you? Okay. And fourth, a deeper prayer life. How about something deeper than now I lay me down to sleep? If I should die before I wake, I pray my soul to take or whatever. Come on, get a prayer life. Get a 30-second prayer multiple times a day. You don't have to pray long prayers. Just pray. You know, just address that subject, quote a scripture to it, and, and do it frequently, frequently. That's what praying without ceasing is. It's not, it's not just never stop. It, it's just do it all the time. Every time it comes to your mind, every time that fear comes to your mind, just pray. Pray a good 30-second prayer. You can do this. This is not hard. You say, well, I don't have a prayer closet. I don't have a closet, period. My wife's got them all full. I don't have a closet. I pray in the car, pray outside with the dog, walking around, pray in the office. It's wherever you can pray. <laughs> She's got two, 
two, <laughs> two men in a truck on standby whenever I die so she can haul it out and get the rest of the closet space. Yeah. So no more just saying a prayer, but developing a prayer life, right? Yeah. Resolve today. You're not, you're not going to throw your net in the same old place the same old way. You're not going to live your life in the same old style by staying in the low risk, low reward, shallow end. When is the last time you did something for the first time? When is the last time you did something that is scary? You know how to improve your prayer life? Take a risk. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, most people, I don't feel like praying. I don't motivate. That's because you got nothing going. You're in the shallow end of the pool. There's no risk, no reward, of course, but no need to pray. You know, sign a note for a new house. Get a loan at the bank. Take an investment into something. Start a business on your own where you don't have a guaranteed paycheck. I guarantee you'll pray in French, Spanish, tongues. You'll send up smoke signals, carrier pigeons, sign language. You'll pray. You'll pray all the time. God, help me. If you don't come through, I'm done. So the result was Peter received a net-breaking boat sinking catch, and God wants you to have a boat full. He doesn't want you to get a can of tuna fish. He wants you to prosper in your life. You can't be a blessing to others if you're only getting by. But if you're a believer in Christ, God's in your boat. He's in your life for a purpose. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And the more you get into what God's doing, God raises demands on your life and require a little more. And like Peter, until you're willing to give it, you'll never have an experience or a great harvest. And I close with this. The devil will always attack you most severely at your lowest point of discouragement. When you've done all you know how to do and things at the moment aren't any better, the devil will whisper to you, quit. It ain't going to work. Give up. Stop. Bail. And God, if he speaks to you, will tell you, launch out deeper. Give deeper. Serve deeper. Pray deeper. Have deeper conviction relationships. Take a step you've never taken and watch God do something miraculous. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.